welcome back to another episode of the Progression Podcast. Something a bit different this week. Uh, it's Neil, my co-founder, and I chatting about product stuff, um, how we're getting on as a business, and at the end, we're reviewing biscuits, which is really exciting and just what you want in your ears on a Monday morning. We've got a second season coming back. Probably in a couple of weeks, the first episode will drop. We've got some great guests. Uh, it's been a busy couple of months, so not that much time to put podcasts together, uh, but really appreciate all of your feedback on previous episodes. Do keep listening. Uh, review us on iTunes. Not really sure how to do that, but if you can work it out, that'd be fantastic. We've got a new sponsor coming up for this second season, so you'll hear more about that in a couple of weeks' time. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Welcome to the latest episode of the Progression Podcast. Uh, this is a momentous one because it's the first podcast that I am sitting next to my new co-founder, Neil, although we've actually been working together for... Way. Six, seven months, something like that. Yeah. Um, so uh, this kind of rounds off the first season, if you like, of the Progression Podcast. And we're going to go into uh, a new set of interviews very shortly with some really awesome people. Um, we just need to get this one out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> we do. So, Neil, yeah. uh, tell me about yourself. Right. Yeah, gosh. Um so we've been working together, maybe working backwards. We've been we met in December, wasn't it? It was just before Christmas, mm. and um, we'd sort of been interacting a little bit on the Indie Hackers Slack, and um, and at first it was like, oh, this guy wants some help with Rails, and like maybe I can help him out, just in sort of the the spirit of paying it forward, and maybe someone else will help me out in the future. And at a certain point, I actually realized what it was that you were doing. And at the time I was doing consulting work at the Wellcome Trust, they'd had an all hands meeting about digital things for their digital team. And one of the things that came up was that they were working on a skills framework to kind of provide that transparency about what people need to be working on, et cetera, et cetera. And um, they referenced progression.fyi in that talk. And my ears pricked up and I thought, that's really interesting because as a consultant or a contractor, you very rarely have that that management oversight of somebody saying these are the things that you should be working on and you could on one project you could be hired as a senior architect and another project you might essentially be just doing solid development day to day and so it really feels like your role can switch around between different projects. So I was really interested in thinking well I could benchmark myself and see like if I were a uh, developer at BuzzFeed or Medium, like where would I sit and what would be the things I need to work on? So that really, it sort of got my attention. And it was just at a certain point, I I can't remember what it was. I think um, I typed in these, the skills exchange that I was looking to buddy up with someone with domain expertise and industry experience to work on something amazing because, well, it's a long story, we can go, in, we can go into the, the backstory of, of how I came to be looking for that. And then, and then you popped up and said, yeah, we should chat. And I was like, so what's, this, what's this Johnny guy actually doing? Um, and, uh, and I was like, oh, shit, he's the guy that did the progression.fyi. Uh, okay, so maybe he's not a total randomer, and maybe actually <laughs> this could be interesting. Okay, so I think from there we, um, yeah, we met yeah, up, we, we had we, a few chats. Yeah, we had, we... Had a date. We had a first beer. We did, yeah. Learned that we live ten minutes apart, so that's right. that's particularly useful. But yeah, uh, uh, 
from my point of view, I was, I think I'd just come to the realization that what I was going to have to build to solve the problem that I had, had focused on was more than I could build myself. Mm-hmm. And I also didn't want to do it on my own. Right. Like, I think I'd gone from, oh, this is maybe a thing that I can write a bit of code and then sell mm-hmm. it a few times to some people. And, right. and it's a kind of a one-off, uh, you know, clone the repo, get the content, and then off you go. And mm-hmm. you pay me once and then yeah. never to be seen again. I realized that it needed to be a monthly recurring product. Mm-hmm. It needed a bunch of infrastructure around it. Yeah. It was dealing with kind of sensitive data. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I have worked uh, for a couple of companies with solo founders. Mm-hmm. And I just know the mental strain that it, yeah. that it takes. Mm-hmm. So I was definitely on the lookout. had talked to a few people. Um, for whatever reason, none of them had, had worked out. And then um, it was it was that weird moment of you've basically described your skills as what I need. You've described mm. what you're looking for as what I yeah. think I have. And we live 10 minutes apart. We should <laughs> probably go for a bit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, lots of people talk about how hard it is to find a co-founder. And I can definitely imagine that. And, and yeah, you know... And sometimes you get lucky. Yeah, and both ways as well. There's a lot of stuff about how do I find a technical co-founder. But actually, and I'm one of the many blog posts I have in my head to write that I probably never will do is about finding a non-technical co-founder. Mm. And actually, that can be just as difficult. And um, finding someone that's sort of grounded in reality, that has an understanding of what a sensible process of building a new business looks like, it's actually really difficult because a lot of the quote-unquote non-technical co-founders that you meet are um, just have a lot of half-baked ideas around stuff that could could potentially work and don't really add any value um, yeah. apart from perhaps having some industry contacts or whatever it may be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the, the fact I'd, I'd been noodling around on this for a few months and it had come from a problem that I had myself probably mm. gave me much more confidence with it and a, a little bit more of an ability to speak to the problem right. and then lots of other people who are you know who have ambition to start something and are looking for a problem mm-hmm. and that and to be clear that was me before I was before I found this yeah I was kind of looking for problems and maybe it's a problem mm-hmm. feels like it'd be a fun thing to build yeah and people bias too much towards that like oh, mm. I, I think I know how I would build this so therefore right. I should probably go and build it um, yeah definitely if you are able to build something then that's mm-hmm. your bias yeah Anyway, so we find ourselves here, we here now. Yeah, uh, we have a an office, and mm-hmm. uh, we sit next to each other, and we have stand ups, and we, we do um, weekly we, management meetings. Weekly management meetings, which is just us moving to different chairs and yeah. carrying on a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, we're starting to get to a point now where there's some structure and some like levels of ownership over mm. different things. Which I think while we were in a process of gradually getting to know each other, we were still working out who who should be doing what and who right. should own things versus be uh, pulled in to help mm-hmm. with things or pulled in to help with a decision or whatever. Um, yeah. Which I think is made interesting by the fact we're both sort of ambidextrous in, in startup terms in that you can happily crack open your IDE and write some code. I could happily jump on a sales call. Yeah. And so potentially in a world where we could be doing anything kind of makes it a bit more difficult to figure out what exactly we should be doing with intention. For sure. Like, I, I, it's an interesting thought experiment. What if I 
couldn't write any code and was right. completely non-technical, mm -hmm. would I have spent the last three months uh, going off and pre-selling a bunch of products, right. which may have ended us up in a better place? Um, <laughs> you know, uh, whereas what I've actually done mm -hmm. is been contributing to the product, which means the product has jumped forward yeah. uh, faster than it would have done if it had just been you. Mm -hmm. And there's also you reduce the amount of communication that has to go between us like oh, yeah. we don't have to talk so much about what we're going to do next mm -hmm. um, I don't have to be over your shoulder like change this colour like exactly. all that kind of stuff yeah. which is a, a pain and slows everyone down but I suppose the, the thing that we're getting to here is the blog post that I wrote over the weekend right. yeah. which sums up a decision that we made last week mm -hmm. around being more deliberate about what we own yeah so, I, yeah, what, I, it's difficult to describe exactly the moment at mm. which we were having our weekly management meeting, right? We were, yeah, I think from my perspective, it feels like there's sort of two things that contributed to it, which are actually almost completely unrelated. But I think one was um, issues around... Um, sort of product quality and our own expectations of ourselves around, say, the number of bugs that are discovered either during testing or on production or uh, or just randomly sort of emerge. Um, I think that was one thing that fed into it. And the, the other thing was our conversation around bootstrapping and runway and, like, ah, we... Uh, <laughs> As opposed to three months ago when it was some sort of distant thing that we could worry about later. Now it's like, well, next month actually we need some sort of contingency plan in place for yeah. how we're going to pay the mortgage and that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's worth saying that we're neither of us are early 20s, super low right. um, outgoings. Um, we're both married. Mm -hmm. We both have um, other demands on our time and our money right um so we can't just be like i'm only going to eat noodles for the next three months and hardcore it um go yeah. and live with my parents or whatever right um we also and listeners long-term listeners of this podcast will probably know this but um we've kind of made made a decision not to raise money or at least not to mm -hmm. to look to raising money as a means to kind of solve this problem yeah if you like so a lot of teams would be like right we're going to go off and put a pre-seed funding round together mm -hmm. uh, and then that will buy pay for our salaries for two years right. while we work out what to do next yeah um, we're kind of that's never say never but right mm -hmm. now that's not our next course of action no not I think going back to some of those um, pre-founding dates that we had that was one area where we were really aligned was yeah. around that raising money is interesting and it's a tool to get somewhere but both of us have sort of been in the game long enough that it's not something that we're attracted to doing and it yeah. like the the sort of the the buzz or the cachet that's around that from the startup media just isn't that attractive to us right exactly exactly we'll do it as and when there is a clear reason to do it mm -hmm. and you know what in six months time there may be a clear reason to do it right and and, and you know we shouldn't say we will never raise money and there are people that will never raise money because that is completely their philosophy. Mm -hmm. Whereas for us, as you say, it's a tool. Yeah. So, um, but right now that means that we have to be the delta between our recurring revenue, mm -hmm. which is 
let's call it break even without salaries. That's yep. the easiest way to describe mm-hmm. it. Um, and what we need to actually survive, yep. we need to work out how to fill that gap. Exactly. Um, so that has that was the conversation that then sparked this. Okay, we could go off and look for um, lots of opportunities to go into companies at the start of using the product mm-hmm. and like sell a bunch of consulting and all that kind of stuff, which may well be a thing that is important to the business ongoing. Yeah. Um, we could go off and you know say you know what two days a week each of us is going to go off and make sure that we're doing enough work mm-hmm. outside the business to stay alive, which yeah. an- is another option. Mm-hmm. And you know when you're bootstrapping, you get that option much more. Than yeah. If we'd raise money, then people would be looking at us very funny oh, if yeah. we're having this conversation. But um, the other one and the the more long term sustainable one is just grow the number of customers that we have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think we're very fortunate. That the nature of the product allows us to sell an annual plan up front and potentially that's all we need is one or two annual plans each month and then we sort of we are what profitable did we call it and we had a um, yeah, not, not ramen. Not profitable. ramen profitable. Greg's profitable. Greg's profitable. <laughs> Greg's profitable. We'll be able to get our uh, vegan sausage roll for lunch. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, on, on the company. We'll be without dipping into savings. <laughs> um, so, um, so th- this conversation last week was, uh, I think, one of the one of the best, or kind of most decisive and actionable mm. conversations we've we've ever had as founders. Yeah. Um, and the TLDR really is, I should stop writing code. Really, and, yeah, and it's, start going and looking for for more customers. Yeah, and the fact that I think in the blog post that you wrote where you describe yourself as a technical founder, I think that sort of hits the nail on the head. That that is the the constant struggle that I think, especially technical solo founders have, is it's so much easier just to open up the editor and write some code and to get that little dopamine hit than yeah. it is to go out and talk to humans. Yeah. Um, and I sort of thought, I guess as part of getting to know each other as well, I sort of thought that you might not be as beguiled by that as uh, like a full-on technical person. <laughs> but no. It, it, no. <laughs> the bug is... Well, the, you know what the challenge is in part that um, I've been learning it. Right, exactly. So, so you get the from the start, hit. I get the dopamine hit of not just this works, but this works and I didn't even know that I could right. do it. Like Dangerous. every week I get a little bit better mm-hmm. and that is a, that is, that's like crack, you know, like I, yeah. I just, every week I need to learn a little <laughs> bit more or see if I can stretch my ability right. to doing something. And um, yeah, and as I said in the blog post, you do something, it works, you ship it, it goes mm-hmm. out. Like that is a rush that is very predictable. Actually, yeah. like you can be like, okay, if I work through this, and you'll hit, you'll hit a snag for a couple of hours. Mm. I might pull you in, and like you'd be able to sort out, get me unstuck. Yeah. But then I'll get to the end, and then it goes out. Right. And um, that's super fun. Yeah. But it's not actually the most helpful thing for me to be doing. Right, and given the. <laughs> those two sort of triggers that we talked about the financial side or revenue side and the quality side actually like it now it makes sense that when you were pushing out code and I was pushing out code there are a few things going on um, I think we had 
we also had the mentality of let's just get it out. We've got all these features we need to build just for table stakes, just to have something that we can put in front of a customer with a straight face. So let's get it out. And we were yeah. biasing to shipping over um, quality. And I do think that it's it's sort of a sliding scale over time. And I think yeah. we've now realized we've sort of we've crossed over the point where we can bias just to ship, and now we need to kind of consider the stability as well. Yeah. Um, and but I think also while we were both shipping, it is unclear who was owning the quality. Right, exactly. So like it's it's. I would create pull requests and you'd review them. You create pull requests and I'd review them. Right, and then like. And you would back stuff over to me. Hey, I can't <laughs> figure this bit out. And I'd back stuff over to you. Hey, I'm yeah. not sure about the wording for this bit or the UI yeah. for that bit. Yeah. And so we got really comfortable creating pull requests that were sort of part baked yeah and sometimes rightfully so because it made sense for the person to work on it and sometimes i think it's very it's much easier to deal with absolutes than it is with shades of gray and i think that once you get away from that absolute of like it's down to me to make sure every single thing is ready for release it's like oh well oh yeah i forgot to implement the destroy method on the button yeah uh but i'll just fix that up once like we fix those other things up that was was on right it. exactly and i'll just flag it as ready for review because that means he can check it out and take a look at it rather than yeah being very conscious of when something should be flagged as ready and what's actually meant by done yeah yeah and, and things like keeping keeping our staging or our develop like reasonably ready to ship yeah. Uh, without there being stuff, not blocking it on stuff that we know we pulled into it, knowing that that wasn't ready, but just like it's the best place to put it for now, and then we'll right. keep working on it. Like, um, just I think what we're describing is probably development best practices in a slightly <laughs> bigger company, maybe. But, yeah. Um, what it means is I can be really tactical with when I put my time into mm -hmm. the product, so I can be like. Theoretically, we'll see. We'll see if this works. We just implemented this, but yeah. um, I can be like, Neil, I've got an hour. What's the most right. useful thing for me to do? Is that feature that we're working on? We're going to talk about the, the thing we're working on at the moment in, in a second. Mm. But um, is that ready to go? Is it valuable for me to look at it now, or should I do it tomorrow? Mm -hmm. um, and with the clear expectation that at the point at which I look at it. It works, yeah. And I'm just looking at like whether the experience feels right mm -hmm. and whether we've missed any um, opportunity to better explain the the feature or or whether you've kind of made a call on the UI that actually I think is we we can you know mm -hmm. display as a column rather than a row <laughs> or something like yeah. that. You know, yeah. um, it's in many ways uh, not fundamental decisions mm. at that point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're going to try and do that. What that means is uh, I have to work out how to turn a sales process into a dopamine-inducing rush in, in <laughs> the same way. Yeah. And I think that even just today we were talking about turning sales into something which has kind of sprints. Mm -hmm. So every week I do some stuff. Yeah. I try and measure the efficacy of it and mm -hmm. try and work out how well it went. Yeah. And then iterate on whether it's iterating on like a sales deck or iterating mm. on an email that I send out or iterating on a um, how I ask the right questions in a call right. or um, what kind of customers I look for mm. or all that kind of stuff I should be actively learning that every week um, and I should be yeah. reporting back to you at the end of the week here are the things that I did mm -hmm. here's my funnel 
Uh, yeah. Here are the things I learned. Here's what I'm going to change on a Monday and a Tuesday, mm-hmm. next Monday and Tuesday, so that when Wednesday when I start doing those things again, it's going to be a little bit better. Yeah. And hopefully then, over a period of a month or two months or three mm. months, by the end I'll have a really good sense of who our customer is, what their problem is, mm-hmm. what they, based on what they say, what I should be saying back. Yeah. Um, and what we should be saying back, because a lot of this is about creating artifacts that mean that you can also jump into sales calls and exactly, yeah. do that stuff as well. Yeah, and I find this stuff really interesting and, and quite exci- exciting to work on. But I think ultimately sales is about, it's about discovering what the real problems are that the customer has. And there's always sort of, they come to you with this sort of, partially fitting idea of what the product does and what problem they have and it's sort of like this matchmaking process of really trying to understand um, how we could potentially help them and the outcome of the sales call or the outcome of the sales process should be not that you manage to hoodwink them into paying 10 grand a year it should be that they have this burden lifted from them because they found a way to solve this really hairy, difficult problem that they had. Yeah. Um, and then they're now confident they found a partner to work with that can um, help them solve that. And uh, I think that's a big dopamine hit. When, when It takes a lot longer for it so. to happen and it's not more so. ambiguous, but yeah. when it does... It's, Absolutely. It's it's, what's interesting is um, because it's to do with humans rather than code, mm-hmm. it's going to be messier. Yeah. It's going to be messier in the way that moving from, you know, to, to go back to the problem we're trying to solve, moving from being someone who um, handles pixels or code mm-hmm. in a company to someone who handles humans and relationships and yeah. happiness and things like that, effectively going from an IC to a manager in a company, mm. it becomes more messy and it's less measurable. It's measurable over a longer period of time. Right. Um, You've got to hope that the things you're doing are working and you can't really test the alternative mm-hmm. in, in such an right. easy way. Um, but then when it works, then it, then it is the thing that you know, uh, turns, the, turns the project into a business. So Exactly, yeah, and extending that. I can't remember where I read it or heard it, but this idea that your product is not the code, your product is the whole shebang. It's this. It's the marketing material. It's the sales process. It's the customer support and success, and the code and the pixels is one part of it. But it's sort of going back to what you originally said when you realised that this is more than just like a small side hustle where you can clone something and get paid for it. And um, yes, the the code and the, the app itself that you need to build is something bigger than you can create by yourself. But actually, thinking about the product. Um, as the business, then yeah. that becomes something even bigger that yeah. that requires a lot of different inputs and um, activities. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. Very interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah, we still got another five ten minutes, so I think we should talk about. We have two other things on our agenda. Okay. One is um, the feature that we're currently working on, mm-hmm. which we should talk about, and the other one is reviewing biscuits. Yeah. Oof. We want to save some time for that. I think the people will be most interested in the biscuit reviews, so I think we should keep that till the end. Yes. And um, yeah, very exciting. Pro- provide an incentive to listen through to the end. Absolutely. Don't worry, we won't be eating biscuits. No one needs that. <laughs> that's that's a Christmas special. It's a Johnny and Neil ASMR biscuit eating podcast episode. <laughs> yeah, maybe we need to start a new podcast for that with a Patreon account. Absolutely. 
Right, what's this thing we're building? Um, yeah. So we've been we've had this idea of a check-in for a while, and I think the the core of a, the product when we started was a framework, and it's like building framework is hard. You have to wrangle a spreadsheet. You've got to write ten thousand words, and it's um, it's just a really hard abstract thing to do. So let's build a tool. Let's people make frameworks uh, in a much quicker way without having to think about all of the skills from first principles. And I think we got there. That was definitely our first goal. And I feel like we got there sort of April time, pretty close mm. to when um, I, I went full-time um, on progression. And that was sort of our North Star for a while. And then we're like, and then what? Where do we go from here? And we've, we have a lot of sort of big visions of where the product could go, what problems we want to solve. But the next step to us seemed to be like, we've got this framework, uh, where do people sit on it? And we know where they're supposed to sit, but in reality, where do they sit? And then the difference between those two things is probably what you should be working on um, for your professional development. And so this idea of a check-in um, arises yeah. of like, how can I uh, check in? Actually, it's like I was saying when I first heard about progression to FYI, like I want to check in against this other framework to see where, where I sit in that organization. Um, so we built the first iteration of that, which um, was going in the right direction, but I think we quite quickly discovered that there were some user experience issues. Mm. Um, it was quite time consuming to go through lots and lots of clicks and the mechanism by which we made people choose the level of the skills um, was a little bit confusing. Mm. Um, and I think as well, we started to get I bigger ideas of how we could... Um, use so firstly expand the data that we're collecting around the check-in so it's not just you checking yourself in your manager checks you in as well and yeah. lets you know and then what we can do with that data between where you think you sit and where your manager thinks you sit and where you jointly decide where you sit based on that um, and how that could be actionable for both the individual team member but then also the manager yeah so I guess that's the sort of the, the genesis of yeah, exactly. Check-ins that we're working on. Yeah, um, yeah. It's the the big kind of. Uh... So a, a year ago, I thought, oh, there's all these spreadsheets. I made progression.fyi and, yeah. and uh, all these spreadsheets that exist in the world, and they're hard to use. Um, so how hard can it be to create a product that's better than that spreadsheet? Right. You need to wrap a UI around it. It needs to feel more modern and mm -hmm. look less like a spreadsheet. Yeah. Very quickly realized that. Uh, to beat a spreadsheet, which is mm. free and offers you ultimate flexibility and is already mm. hooked into your G Suite and, right. and all that kind of stuff, you actually need to build something that is significantly more powerful and doesn't just improve the functionality of the rubric, which is what people have been doing, but actually mm. adds to that in some significant right. way. And it's exactly what you said. It's, it's um, okay, I can see what is expected of people at different levels mm -hmm. but then I still don't know what's expected of me Yeah, I don't know where I am I don't know how far off I am mm -hmm. am I doing well at this job am I really close to the level above yeah. or am I only just in this one mm -hmm. and people I saw people doing that with uh, more spreadsheets with yeah. uh, you know, uh, forms that they were filling in mm -hmm. and sharing with each other uh, Google Docs all that kind of stuff yeah 
And so that's been kind of gestating also is like mm. th- there's this, there's, there needs to be this mechanism for putting yourself into the framework and it not just being read only, but it being something right. that you can interact with. So, um, yeah, the first version of check-ins was interesting, but immediately people didn't, people were saying, well, great, this is, this is me, but I don't, it hasn't been validated by my manager or anyone, mm. so I don't know if I'm right or not. And also, there's this, the, the Dunning-Kruger effect, um, which is where people dramatically, people, people would read the check-ins, I think, mm-hmm. and um, look at what was expected of them, yeah. and then answer that one without really reading any of the content. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and the check-in would allow you to choose level, any level at any skill. Right. Uh, which meant people were kind of 100% out from where they were meant to be. Mm-hmm. And when it's that inaccurate, it's just not useful. Right, exactly. Um, so there was a whole bunch of stuff. And like we were, we were watching people doing check-ins and, and thinking, this isn't right, but what is the right direction to go in? Yeah. And actually, I want to, to do a, a shout-out to the, the folks at Go Cardless um, because they have a really interesting... It's a guy called Pete who showed me a really great uh, tool that they have internally, which just illustrated exactly the process that we have now iterated towards, which is like you do you do your, your check-in on your skills, mm. then you throw it over to your manager, mm-hmm. who either blind or looking at yours, then effectively marks your work mm-hmm. or fills in their own check-in. And then you have this process it's not over yet because then there's this final process of right. let's sit together. My answers were here. Your answers were here. Mm-hmm. What's the delta and what's our mutual agreement at the end yeah. of this? Because it shouldn't just be the manager's decision and it shouldn't just right. be your decision. It should be like this mashup of mm-hmm. um, maybe the manager forgot that you worked on a particular project which demonstrated that skill. Yeah. Maybe they're not in the best place to um, be able to assess certain things about mm-hmm. you. Whereas and you want a chance to be able to put your case forward. So then you end up with not only a much more robust final result, but you also end up with a load of interesting data around. Right. So as a manager, I can look across all my reports and I can see how right was I? Yes. How well do I know my team? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's where it starts to get really interesting. So we're playing with all sorts of radar charts and mm. interesting visualizations data of science. this data. Yeah. Exactly. We Algorithms and Made we can actually data. put together something that represents your, I don't want to say score because score is the wrong word, mm-hmm. but, but actually a more nuanced answer as to whether, not only whether your final result on a skill was, um, was that you're doing well or, or uh, you still need to work, work on that skill, mm-hmm. but were you and your manager in agreement over that? Um, if you both right. agreed and then it, it resulted in that answer, then that's a really accurate answer. So you can, mm-hmm. you can actually also get an accuracy score. Whereas yeah. if you said you were doing really well, your manager said you were doing, you still need to, right. needed to work on it, and you end up in the middle, then that's low accuracy at that point. Mm-hmm. And um, you've got to maybe take that with a bit more of a pinch of salt. Yeah. So Indeed. even so, all of this stuff is still getting us one step closer to the point where we can then say, Okay, so you've you've done all this stuff, and yeah. and I've gone through this process, and mm-hmm. still, you know, you don't want to be doing it too often because it's quite a long, long right. process. Um, now what? 
what what should I set as my goals? How do exactly. I move this forward? How do I grow over time? Yeah. So, um, it's the next step, and it's a super important next step. Yeah, I think for us, we have that very clear vision of the product and of that that the the frameworks is just the very it's just the the nucleus of the product, and then we've got the check ins, which is going in the right direction. But then the natural next step after check-ins is yet the goals. Where do I go? How do I track that progress? Um, and like progress is something that happens gradually over time. It doesn't happen um, on a six-monthly review cycle or whatever. So how do you how do you track that? And how do you give people the tools to sort of track their own success and their own wins? Yeah. Um, and Again, like how, how do you compete against a Google Doc or the iOS Notes app? Well, if you have a career framework, either your organizations or uh, coming soon, perhaps, <laughs> you might be using the product as a solo user and you could look yeah. at other or open sourced um, career frameworks. So how, like how, how do you then connect what you, that achievement that you had last week in the design workshop to a specific level or skill for a role in a, in a framework? Yeah. I think that's where it'll get really interesting. Absolutely, yeah, and, and using that kind of aggregate data across not just your company, but multiple jobs over time for you, but then also yep. all the all the companies in your city or or with that particular senior designer job description or, mm -hmm. you know, a, across a, a shared skill across lots of different companies. How are you performing? Mm -hmm. Where's the best place to go next to get better at that, for example? Yep. Then you start to get... Um, that kind of network effect, but mm. we've got to walk before we can run. Is that... <laughs> we do, yeah, yeah, got a lot of walking to do. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, Neil, thanks for joining me on this podcast. We'll obviously keep doing these these ones um, alongside yeah. the more uh, interview, super interesting people from outside the mm -hmm. business type type things. Um, shall we talk about biscuits very briefly? Yeah, so um, shout out to Waitrose. They really upped their biscuit game, or at least their Choco Lebniz. I don't know what the, the, the official pronunciation is of that. Um, and they introduced multiple flavours. So, I mean, not you go to Sainsbury's and you get your, your sort of your milk chocolate and your dark chocolate. Mm. Uh, Waitrose are now selling orange and white chocolate alongside the milk and the dark. Yeah. I'm not sure if there's other flavors available. I'm not sure whether that's a complete range or actually whether there's there's more. Um, I feel like they should do like a matcha and a strawberry, a bit like Kit Kats. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah or maybe one with a little caramel layer in it. <laughs> yeah, or a hobnob base. So progression is almost entirely Choco Liebner's powered, I would say, <laughs> at this stage. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, we dabble with um, what are the caramel wafer things called? Caramel bars. Are they called caramel bars? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. They're good. Orange uh, clubs. Yeah, clubs. Kit Kats. I mean, Kit Kat is sort of the yeah. the bread and butter of the biscuit world. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, I'm never reaching for a Kit Kat if there's something else. No, on no, no. I mean, it's the bottom of the barrel stuff. Yeah. Um, Occasional um, chocolate hobnobs. Never going to get Nestle as a sponsor after this. <laughs> so in terms of actual reviews, if we can try and quantify this, um, maybe we stick with the... How do you say it? Chocolate Lebanese? Yeah, I think so. Let's, let's, sure, let's go for that one. If we had to try and quantify this as marks out of 10, um, we've done, we've had white last week, orange this week, and then yeah. we've just been on the milk before that. Yeah. I, I find white chocolate too sweet. It's I'm very sweet. Yeah. I mean, I generally, I, it's my guilty pleasure of white chocolate. Mm. 
but I did find it quite sweet. Yeah. Um, although the contrasting dark chocolate um, or dark chocolate biscuit base. Uh, yeah, yeah, because the biscuit was actually chocolate as well. And that. visually, it's quite satisfying to have that sort yeah. of white covering and that dark chocolate, dark kind of biscuit base. Yeah. Um, Good contrast. Yeah, exactly. Um, so white, yeah, white chocolate. Um, the orange is pretty good. It's got that same sort of um, artificial orange flavour that a, a chocolate orange club has. Yes, and a chocolate orange. And a chocolate orange. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's using the same same formula. <laughs> Probably all the same factory. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to say it though, I'm just, I'm just a classic milk guy. I think it's boring, isn't it? But I think you might be right. Yeah. That there's something about those classics. So I would say milk chocolate, I'm going to give it six and a half out of ten. Orange... I'm gonna go with seven and a half. Okay. Milk, probably eight out of ten, I guess, for milk. Okay. I feel like it's just quite yeah. a slim. Dark, I'm not so bothered about, to be honest. I'd put yeah. that probably a six or a six point five. Yeah. For me, dark chocolate is post dinner. Right. And you just have dark chocolate, you don't have dark chocolate on it. Although dark chocolate hobnobs are nice. Not sure I've had oh dark chocolate digestive stuff. Yeah, no, it's yeah, yeah not, no. not there's not enough going on there. Good. Well, I'm glad we got to the bottom of that. I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say, Waitrose. Just look at your numbers and see <laughs> see how well these new ones that, are doing. Cause, yeah. Because the milk chocolate just, just pile them on. That's Keep on special offer, thirty percent off right now if you uh, rush to your local Waitrose. Which means it's the normal price. One pound and two p. I think normal price is like one pound sixty. Ah. Spot the Yorkshire man in this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to sign off on that bombshell. Uh, <laughs> uh, tune in in the next month or so. We've got some really great guests on, uh, people that you will definitely have heard of, uh, people that know their stuff. Uh, and we'll also try and, depending on, just let us know if you like this. And um, unless, unless everyone hates it, we'll do a few more of these. Do as well, I think. Inside and progression. Exactly, inside progression. I like that. There you go. Yeah. Okay. See ya. Bye.